Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio by Jeff Rutberg and Jeff Cohen, back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. Guys, before we get to sports and talking, we've got some news for our listeners. We're moving again. Jeff Cohen, do you have the moving truck? I do. You, you're going you're gonna to get the all... The Mayfower van is backing up as we speak. You're going to pack up Jeff Rutberg's headset, make sure that we get it there? Absolutely. Okay, so we are moving. You can join us starting next Friday night uh, you're on your drive to start your weekend. We'll be on live from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Jeff Rutberg, this is exciting stuff, right? We get to talk to the listeners and callers as they head out for the weekend. Yes, that would be great. When they're stuck in traffic, you give us a call and, um, and, and make, the, make the ride go easier. Yeah, we'll make you feel better about the fact of where you are. Jeff Cohen. Unless you're on the Schuylkill. Um, and then there's nothing we could do. Then we'll be joining you afterwards when we finish the show. But it's okay. We'll feel your pain. It's exciting time, guys, though. Uh, big sports time. We're going to get to talk about it every week live with the listeners. Definitely looking forward to it. This week, let's get started with the Phillies. Another <laughs> Phillies week. Uh, you left out a word in between Phillies and week. It, well, no, it it speaks for itself. <laughs> it's a Phillies week, <laughs> therefore you know what it is. Not uh, what some fans are hoping for. Jeff Rutberg, are you disappointed or surprised? I know you had a more a hopeful, optimistic look for the season. I, uh, I was surprised at the... Uh, the relievers not doing well. I thought re- the relief pitching was one of their strong points. No, oh, wait, and, that's and, one well, of their strong points. We got problems. We got problems. Uh, Jolie uh, jo- uh, Rodriguez, he needs to be sent down. Pavetta was sent down after yesterday's game. But yeah, they sent down the wrong pitcher. They, they should have kept Pavetta up there. And well, they and, let, they sent Pavetta down because they're bringing Nola back. Up. I know they are, but Rodriguez poured gas on a fire and and decided to blow up everything yesterday, just like Philly's bullpen pitchers do regularly. They all want to be together. They're bonding. They're all giving up runs at a record pace and home runs at a record pace. That No bullpen in the major leagues has given up more runs on home runs than the Phillies have. The, the Phillies have only had a starting pitcher reach the sixth inning 15 times. That's a problem. You've, you've played 38 games now, 39 yeah, games. But here's the, here's the thing, though. If you look around the major leagues, there aren't many Madison Bumgarners when they're not driving around and getting themselves hurt. There aren't many Clayton Kershaws. The, the, the way that Major League Baseball is going with pitching is getting a guy to the sixth, possibly to the seventh, and then turning it over to the guys in the bullpen who all have their roles. There's a sixth-inning guy, a seventh-inning guy, an eighth-inning guy, and a closer. So if you're, the, if you're Pete McCannon and the bullpen coach, do you hope the phone doesn't work when your starter starts to get in trouble? <laughs> do you just hope that like it's out of order and you right. can't get to him to bring him in the game? I mean, how much, let's be honest, how much worse could the starter pitcher do other than actually hurting himself or throwing more well, pitches? Well, that's it. It's just whether he's going to blow out his arm. Yes. But, th- but that's, yeah. look, if every week I have to go through this, you can't have guys like Vinny Velasquez who's going to throw 100 pitches in four so and two-thirds So here's inning. my question for you on Vinny. What's his second pitch? Because I think part of the reason he's throwing so many pitches is because he's only got his fastball that he trusts. So how are you going to take a guy who doesn't trust other pitches when he's a starter and move him in as a reliever? Do you think he could just overpower people with fastballs? He's, he's got four pitches. But Whether he any of trust them. them. Well, yeah, but when you move to a closer, you only use two pitches. If you're Mariano Rivera, you only use one. So what if but you most were, of them have a fastball and then one secondary pitch because you you aren't seeing batters more than one time around. So of what you've seen from Velasquez, if you could pick one of his pitches, which one do you think he has the most command that could be his second pitch, his out pitch to go with that fastball? I think probably a changeup. A changeup. Mm-hmm. And you think that he could make that adjustment that he hasn't been able to do as a starter? Yeah, and I think I think you'd see another couple miles per hour on his fastball. 
because he's saving his arm yeah. just for that mm-hmm. short burst. Jeff Upberg, would you be okay with an experiment of Vinny Velasquez in the bullpen, given that the experiment of Vinny Velasquez is a starter? You pretty much know at this point it won't go past five innings. Yes, yes, absolutely. Put him in the bullpen and, and send uh, Rodriguez down and, uh, Look, and bring somebody else up who, who, who might be able to pitch. My thing is they're not winning this year, so try well, everything. Try people right. in positions exactly. and see what your what your here's your word, Jeff. What your assets yeah, are. Right. <laughs> see where they fit. What pieces will work? Do they work in the bullpen? Do you need to move people around on the infield? Do you need to put players on the bench who you thought were going to be veterans because you have younger players outperforming them? If they don't do something, the, the season's going to end in May. Oh, it's over. Well, it, it's yeah, over. Much, right? It was. Yeah. Look, it well, was. Let's be honest. It was over before it started. The Phillies were looking at maybe on a good day, five hundred. Well, this wasn't going to be a World Series no. year, but it's it's not over by getting to five hundred and making progress standards. Yeah. And, and and what I don't understand is I get leaving prospects down, especially right now. Like everybody wants Reese Hoskins to come up. By the way, he's leading uh, AAA in home runs right now. But the patience that they've showed in Tommy Joseph is, is paying off. So maybe he becomes a trade asset. Let, let that play out. What I don't understand is they have a guy in AAA now who's, I think, 30 years old. So he's not a young guy. He's not a prospect. But he's given up, and I'm holding up my hand, zero runs in 13 appearances as a reliever while the Phillies staff continues to give up ridiculous amounts of runs. So why haven't they brought him up? I don't know. This is the guy that throws with both hands, by the way. It's Venditti. Uh, Phillies management, if you're around listening, uh, contact Jeff Cohen. He's I got mean, questions. <laughs> I mean, it's not like, he, it's not like he's, he, he's not a prospect in the true sense of the word. So you brought him in this year. Why not put him in the area that you need most? You're not saving him. It, it, they don't even have arms that are producing in the bullpen. The only person I have faith that comes in, Nishak. I mean, right. I don't understand right. why they don't, why he doesn't have more of a role in the bullpen. But I mean, we're looking for basically closer four. We we need our our we need a seventh inning guy. We need an eighth inning guy. We, I mean, we, well, I think you do. I th- I think that it, that you need to put Hector Neris back where he was as successful eighth, as yeah. the eighth inning guy. So if you have a closer and you have Neris at eight. Then you settle the other guys into those roles, including Nishak being a seventh inning guy. And it might work. I would put them there no matter how much of a disaster it is. I would put those three roles in place and I would keep them there for a good three weeks or so and see if it, if it settles down. But just trying which guy you think is going to do the least worst is not the way to run a bullpen. How about Gomez? Where's he? Have they been putting him in? I haven't seen him. He complained about his role after the last time, about it not being defined. This is exactly what you're saying, Jeff. So, so did Benoit. So would you, would you put Benoit or Gomez in that seventh inning role, or would it be more situational for you? Well, I would put Nishak in the seventh inning role, and I would have the guy leading up to that, if you can't get your starter to go a full six, then I'd have Benoit there, and I'd have Gomez there. Okay, so that's your solution to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. What happened to problem o- solved? What happened to Odubel Herrera? Oh, he stinks. They paid him a lot of money to stink. I don't, well, I don't hold think on. he stinks. He doesn't. I think that's stink, I think that's a slight overreaction. It's not Mr. Clutch. He's not. He, he reminds me of Pancho Herrera, <laughs> who played in the 1960s. <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jeff Cohen. If, since you're not familiar, Jeff Rupperg. I have no idea who Pancho Jeff, Herrera. Jeff Rupperg. <laughs> Jeff Rupperg judges players based on their salary. Uh-huh. So part of the reason he was so frustrated with Ryan Howard was his performance, but it was. 
that he wasn't producing for the salary he got. And so, by, the, by the way, before you pass Ryan Howard, uh, apparently the Braves should have held on to him a little bit longer now that Freddie Freeman's out for two months. Well, uh, they can always call him back. Yeah. Jeff Jeff will get you his number. Yeah. But th- So it's the expectations that come with the salary. I don't know if Jeff would have been as frustrated with Herrera this season if he hadn't gotten the salary that he's getting. If he was you know, a league minimum player, you're not going to get frustrated with what he's doing. But now that he has this salary, but there's this sa- expectation on him that he's going to be a core piece of this team, which I don't know that he's ever going to be. I don't think that was the plan. I, th- I think they signed him to, uh, I think, a five-year deal. It's it's a moderate deal in terms of Major League Baseball standards. It's not like he's getting gonna, getting Mike Trout money. He's get, yeah. and, and he's tradable if they find another guy to play center field. He's a good player. He, he's a good defender. He's not great. If anybody thought that he was going to come in here and he was going to be great, remember, he was cut or made available by another team. The only reason the Phillies got him is because another organization essentially gave up on him. And the Phillies found something in him, and he's done a good job. He's not the big problem, though, except for the fact that he doesn't run anything out. Yeah, well, there's a lot of players. That don't. He's not Mr. <laughs> Mr. Clutch either when, it, when they're down I, and they need a hit. I thought that the reason that they signed him was to eventually trade him. Uh, to, That's what to I let him To let him yeah. walk, you get no value for him. I don't think that they ever thought of him as... Of somebody that's a part of their core in their future, but he's more of a bridge to get you there that then you can sell the bridge once you arrive. Look, they, they if you ask me what they want, they want desperately Roman Quinn to yeah, be the guy so. until Mickey Moniak is ready. Okay, so let's get our farm report, Jeff Cohen. What's going on down on the farm? Well, the Bash brothers, who are now up at AAA, Reese Hoskins is leading or tied for the league in home runs in AAA. Uh, as a first baseman, he's batting over 300. He's still doing everything that everybody was wondering if he could do at AAA. Cousins, who we've complained about having a low batting average, is starting to heat up. He's figured something out this month, and he's now only one home run behind the league lead in, in home runs in AAA. So those two guys are starting, and they had an 11-game win streak. Actually, 12, oh, wasn't it? 12? No, they lost. They, they lost, lost yesterday, oh, yeah. Oh. Are we going to see them in the majors this year? Well, it depends on what happens with Tommy Joseph. Um, I think you might see Cousins called up at the end of the year. I don't think they're going to call him up immediately just because he's hitting home runs, but he's still having a date. You know, you, you don't need Dave Kingman up here. So right. you need somebody who's going to bat for average and isn't going to strike out 200 out of 400 at bats. Before we move to a, a quick segment on the, the Eagles, a uh, question for you. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays player Kevin Pillar suspended two games for a slur this week. Uh, Jeff Cohen, this got under your skin, your brief thoughts. Yeah, well, that was a slap on the wrist. I am so tired of athletes making these kind of comments and then giving whiny little explanations. I didn't sleep uh, last night. Yeah, he he literally gave the explanation that he was too tired and he was frustrated because the team wasn't doing well. Well, guess what? We all get frustrated at times. We don't yell out racial epithets. We don't yell out slurs. There was no reason to do it, and quite frankly, the Major League Baseball and the Toronto Blue Jays should be embarrassed that they got together and said, we're going to give you a weekend off. <laughs> That's what they did. Well, not much. It's embarrassing. Not much more that I can say than that. Uh, okay, moving on to the Eagles real fast. We have been begging them to sign a running back who was over five foot eight. Well, some of you have. <laughs> uh, well, you've been teasing me about not caring <laughs> about it. But uh, LeGarrette Blunt, now uh, a Philadelphia Eagle, said his nickname will be Philly Blunt. <laughs> Are you guys 
excited Wait, wait, wait. hold on. Did he really say that? He did say that, yeah, Jeff. Th- I waited to tell you on the air just so I could get your reaction. He did say that his nickname I'm would be I'm dumbfounded. This is a guy who's been suspended. He did say for, that, Jeff. For, he, for smoking pot or getting caught with pot. It's a nickname, Jeff. Why are you taking an implication <laughs> out of it? I, I knew that you were going to react this a, way, so I specifically, I specifically waited. There's actually t-shirts already that say Philly Blunt. But I, I waited to tell you on air just so I could get your genuine reaction for the listeners. He, he's he's such a great citizen. He's going to be wonderful. Okay. Well, as long as he gets the picks up the third and one, and the <laughs> that's all and Jeff one cares about. That, that the Eagles haven't been able to do. That'd be fine with me. Well, so, well, here's what I know about Legarrette Blunt. Legarrette Blunt was thrown out of Oregon a long for, time ago for. for Punching a player because his team lost at the end of the after but the game. Apparently, was that's over. okay in the NFL as long as it's not a woman. Okay, huh. so then he gets to the NFL, and while he's with the Steelers, he gets suspended with Le'Veon Bell because they're having a little too much fun with the Philly Blunt. And then I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then he decides that he's not getting enough playing time playing behind Le'Veon Bell, so he literally walks off the field during the game. Because he's not happy with his playing time. The Steelers say, you know what? We don't need you. Is, they cut him. Is this the giant fan in you speaking? No. Or are you truly like no, I, feeling I, this way? I, 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 because I, last, last season he rushed for 1,168 yards and had 18 touchdowns. So I'm not expecting that. Oh, he but, got rewarded. He got thrown off of the Steelers and, they, and the Patriots picked him up. Honestly, and I'll give him a cookie if he wants a reward. I just want him to pick up one <laughs> yard know, when they're down on the cookie. goal line. Look, <laughs> I will bake him whatever he wants as long as when we're down on the goal line, he punches it in on third and one, and I don't have to watch us run some screen pass from the one yard line and takes us back three yards. Okay? Way, way to use the term punches it in. That's well, <laughs> well, 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 where does that leave uh, Corey Bennett, that undrafted free agent running back now? Who? Is, does he have any chance of making the team? The local he's, boy. He's from, the local, the boy, local from boy from Glassboro. Glassboro. I, I think uh, from what I heard, and, and you take it from what it is, he impressed in shorts in the in the practice. So did Douglas, <laughs> apparently, the, the defensive back. As much as you can impress in a pair of shorts with no pads on. Look, the Eagles now have a glut of running backs, none that really stand head and shoulders above each other, except another, for the guy who's another. 5'8". <laughs> everybody stands head and shoulders above him. Right. But so, you know, he and Darren Sproles will stand there and everybody else will be above them. But you're going to have an opportunity for him to try and make the squad. I would think he's more of a practice squad kind of guy. Try and get him some seasoning as an undrafted free agent. Let him learn. LeGarrette Blunt's not a long-term solution. Darren Sproles is going to be on the last year of his contract. So you're looking at... Uh, potential longer-term solution that's out there in the undrafted free agent that maybe you can put on the practice squad as opposed to the shorter-term solutions like one. Right, and the, then have Bennett come in, in next year. That would be that would be my thought and how you would do it. Jeff, do you want to take us to break, and then we'll come back with our special guest? All right, you're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. When we return, we'll be joined by Keith Jones, analyst with the NHL, and we'll be right back. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. 
You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. back with the heart of sports i can't tell you guys how excited we are to have our next guest you all know him as jonesy the face of the nhl playoffs for nbcsn former flyer the pride and joy of western michigan university an author and quite possibly future owner of multiple triple crown winners welcome to the show keith jones thank you guys happy to join you how's things going there Good. Do, doing great. Which party do you like that the most, the former flyer, the NHL broadcaster, or the future Triple Crown owner? I'd take the future Triple Crown owner. That's, that's, <laughs> what, I, that's what I thought, exactly. Yeah, I would, I would enjoy that. There's no doubt about that. So how late were you up last night watching the Anaheim game? Yeah, no, I, I worked it, and then we had the post-game show after. So I think we got off the air around midnight last night. Um, which is really our off time in the conference finals anyway. So the overtime didn't uh, force me to stay later than normal. It was actually put into the show an extra hour and a half just in case we have some overtime. So the way these playoffs have gone, no surprise. And it was the 28th overtime already, which is an NHL record for the postseason. And uh, it's been fun, though, exciting. And Nashville almost got the job done after coming back from being down two goals. But Anaheim found a way, as they have throughout the playoffs, to show some great resiliency and dealt once again with some adversity and found a way to win. I was watching you in studio in between periods after what seemed like an Anaheim collapse. I mean, they were up uh, two goals, five minutes left, take some silly penalties. With 34 seconds left, Nashville ties it up. It didn't seem like you thought Nashville... Um, that Anaheim would be able to, to come back in the overtime. Were you surprised that they were able to gut that one out and pull out the win? Really surprised. Really surprised. That was uh, that was improbable in my mind after watching how the momentum had shifted, how the fans in Nashville had brought their team to another level. I didn't like a couple of the calls that uh, did not go their way, including what I thought should have been a penalty on the tying goal uh, that, it, that Nashville scored with, I think, 33 seconds left in the period. So there was a, there was a lot to, uh, to take in if you were an Anaheim Ducks fan. And the fact they came out and played evenly in that overtime session shows you just how much heart that Ducks team has. That was, that was tremendous and, in my mind, a little bit surprising how they were able to get a win in overtime. On that last goal, they actually, it looks like they missed two penalties. There was a punch and a cross-check that they yeah, didn't call. Yeah, it's funny how that goes, especially when you've been ticketed for four penalties in a row uh, and they were legitimate calls against Anaheim but when you've got 
you know, four short-handed opportunities in a row that you actually do a really good job on, including killing a five-on-three, you'd think one call might go your way. So I would have been frustrated and angry, and maybe they turned that anger into energy because they needed a little boost there in overtime, and they found a way to get it done. Hey, Keith, the, Anaheim's had a history over the last couple of years of falling apart in the playoffs. What do you think Ryan Kessler has meant to that team? He means a lot. Uh, it's, to me, it's been a lot about Ryan Getzlaff, though. He's, he's been phenomenal. Um, and Kessler, in his role of bothering the opposition, certainly can be a factor. Uh, but there's more offense to his game than what he's been contributing so far. So I think if Anaheim is going to win that series, they're going to need him to not just check Ryan Johansson. He's going to have to make sure he produces at the other end of the ice. It's going to take everything Anaheim has to beat this Nashville team. Uh, Nashville, to me, looks like they've got a little more left in the tank. And Anaheim, when rested, has played really well in the playoffs. But when they get a little winded, they have some issues. So uh, Kessler's going to have to be really good. Getzlaff's been unbelievable in the playoffs so far, and that's a big reason why Anaheim's been so successful. And also, they've got their head coach back, Randy Carlisle, who was not around for a lot of these collapses over the last five years or so. And he made sure everyone knew that going into Game 7 at home against Edmonton. Uh, don't pin it on him is what his words were, and he started to laugh about it and then found a way to coach his team through a very difficult opponent in Edmonton. He'll try to do the same here as this series gets a little bit deeper. I'm going to start doing that with the guys in studio here. If we have a bad show, I'm just going to say, don't pin it on me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, well, if you're not there, they can't. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it can't happen. So you're moving over to the Eastern Conference. What are your thoughts on the Ottawa-Pittsburgh series so far? Pittsburgh's in trouble. The The injuries have caught up to them. And whenever you're playing with some key components missing, especially on the back end in today's game, you're forcing your star players that are remaining in the lineup to do a lot of extra work, uh, including defensively where Crosby and Malkin have spent a lot of time in their own end trying to bail out their defense and their, their inability to move the puck up ice quickly, which was such a big component to their Stanley Cup championship last year. Uh, that's what Pittsburgh is lacking, and to me it would be a monumental feat if they make it to the Stanley Cup Finals again. Ottawa, the underdog coming in, is not the underdog in my eyes. They're healthy, they're feeling good, they've got a great system, and they have exploited Pittsburgh's lack of depth on the blue line, and I think that's going to be one of the keys moving forward, but I can't rule out the Penguins from doing it especially with the, the way their superstar talents have performed over the last two seasons in the playoffs. So if it's, it sounds like if I was asking for you for a pick, you're leaning towards Ottawa out of the East, and who do you think, Nashville or Anaheim out of the West? Yeah, I would say Nashville. Nashville. Uh, but uh, there's been moments in that previous series that Anaheim was with Edmonton where I thought Edmonton was going to blow right through them, and they looked like they would, including that 7-1 defeat. And Anaheim, through great coaching, and through the ability to battle back in games has shown that they're capable. So that's a little closer in my mind. And Ottawa will have their challenges of eliminating the Stanley Cup champions. You know they're going to have some fight back, but I would lean heavier towards Ottawa and Nashville would be my choice to come out of the West. I just love the atmosphere in Nashville. Watching the, that game and those fans is, is fun and exciting how that city's embraced that team. Yeah, and that's important. I mean, it's great to see that, you know, another marketplace is now starting to grow and build up, you know, their fan base. And that's 
That's something that the, the league was hoping for when they had a team move to Nashville. It's not a huge market. I think there's only around 300 and something thousand people in the area, but they, they're packing it in. The numbers on TV are increasing in that area as well, much like we saw with Tampa uh, with their last couple of runs uh, deep into the playoffs. And it's always good when we can add some of those, you know, different locations and start to get more fans and more kids playing. I think we're starting to see a lot more youngsters coming up from some different parts of the country, making it to the National Hockey League, including some kids coming from California and continuing to progress all the way up the ranks and, and making it all the way to the top. You know, I expected, Keith, I expected to see the, the Capitals hanging out in this round. <laughs> and, 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 you know, as a former Capital, why do you think the Caps are so snake-bitten in the playoffs? And is it time to get rid of the, uh, Ovechkin? Yeah, that's a, these are great questions, difficult ones. I, I honestly believe that if Washington found a way to get by Pittsburgh, they would have no problem with Ottawa. And if I was Ottawa, I'd, I was cheering hard for Pittsburgh to get and squeak past the Capitals, which is what they did. But in doing so, it took a toll on the Penguins. They lost a few more bodies along the way. Uh, Washington was healthy. They had everything going in the right direction after battling back from being down three games to one in the series. Crosby was banged up and missed a game along the way, and they still found a way to fail. Um, <laughs> they've tried multiple coaches, and so I, I don't know that a change in coach would be the right way to do it. Uh, you wonder if it is time to move Ovechkin, and as crazy as it sounds, I think it would have sounded really crazy if you're said at the end of last year's playoffs that Nashville would move Shea Weber, their captain and the face of their franchise, uh, but they did. And they moved him for P.K. Subban, and we've watched what Nashville's been able to do here. And, and like I said earlier, I, I would favor them to make it to the Stanley Cup final, and if they do, to win it. Uh, that's the kind of the conundrum that they have going on in Washington. When you trade a superstar like Ovechkin, you better get back uh, equal value, uh, and that's that would be the challenge for Brian McClellan, the general manager there. Plus, Ovechkin sells a ton of tickets in a marketplace when I played there that was full in the playoffs of the visiting team's fans. Uh, that's no longer the case there. Ovechkin deserves a lot of credit for that, and there would be some risk in moving a player that that's, is so popular. Keith, uh, you played for three different teams. Uh, what was what was it like to move around, and, and how were the fans different in each city? I, I loved the, the moving around part of it. My daughter was very young when I was in Colorado, so she wasn't around in my time in Washington, so I had the flexibility to jump around a bit, um, which was cool. And then she was only one year old when I was traded to Philadelphia, so she didn't quite know what was going on. Um, so that made it a little bit easier. So all of those parts I loved. Uh, every city was different. Washington was very laid back and did not have a huge fan base. Uh, that was something that was uh, a little bit disappointing when I got there. Uh, but they, you know, increased that fan base when playoffs would roll around. And now we know where it is now with Ovechkin being there and the rink being downtown. Colorado was a great atmosphere. They had won the cup the previous year. Uh, the fans were really into it and the arena McNichols arena was a small rink that they packed in every game that I played there uh, they had a really long sellout streak going there that lasted multiple years so that was a great environment uh, the fans were into it they were not 
as aggressive as the fans in Philadelphia. I don't know what you're and, talking about with yeah, aggression. Yeah, the fans in Philly were a perfect fit for me, and I was really lucky to be moved on to the Flyers at the latter part of my career. And I, had I not been, I, I don't know that I would be doing as much work in the media as I do now. Um, so I'm very pleased that I found a place where I could fit in and, and enjoy myself and also appreciate the passion that the fans had for the game. Uh, it's something you need to embrace, and if you don't, you won't last long in Philadelphia. If you do, and you, you can play to a high standard and play with energy and effort and excitement and look like you love the game, then you'll be fine. Yeah, You know, Keith, Keith, one of the players that you played with that's kind of an enigma to the the description that you've given of a player that would be successful based on his personality is Eric Lindros. And we've kind of had some discussion here, and we continue to have discussion on whether Eric Lindros uh, should have his number retired in Philadelphia. Um, every other NHL uh, flyer who has been in the Hall of Fame has had his number retired. So far, Eric Lindros has not. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, he should. He should. Um, this, this is a player that sold a lot of tickets, uh, much like Ovechkin in Washington. Lindros not only sold tickets at home, he sold tickets on the road. I mean, this, he was a show, and he was a unique talent that had some moments that I think that as he's matured, he would want to redo. Um, but overall, his play on the ice during games was outstanding. Uh, the concussion issues, I think, have really come to light as we learn more about what happens with them. I think there were some moments that uh, Eric played when he probably shouldn't have. And I think there was also some pressures there that, to play uh, just because of where we were at in the game and players you know, putting pressure on them, uh, maybe management at times and coaches um, not being as educated as we are today. So I, th- I think there was a lot of things that went into that, but I without question think that he is deserving of having his number retired as a as a Flyer Hall of Famer. Okay. Thank you for that. I, I, I only think of him as uh, what happened at the end, but I, uh, I can agree with that. What was it like uh, for you to go from playing to broadcasting once you decided to hang up your skates? It was uh, a lot harder than I ever thought it would be, and I think it was a lot more difficult than the, the guys at ESPN that hired me thought it would be for me. Uh, <laughs> it was not a good start. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> It was a lot of sweating. It was a lot of, you know, getting used to things. And I think I did like, I want to say 15 shows for ESPN on NHL tonight when I first retired. And maybe the last three went decently. (laughs) And I was wondering uh, if I should be looking for a different line of work or if I could mend this knee one more time and get back on the ice because it was a little bit scary. But luckily for me, I had the radio in Philadelphia and on WIP that gave me an opportunity with Al Morgani, Angelo and Rhea. And I would go in once a week and I did it for free for a couple of years. And eventually it morphed into a, a job, uh, which was a big bonus. And in getting my timing and you know learning when to speak and when to listen and when to be funny and when to be serious, I developed a much better understanding of the media and I also was much better when it came to doing TV uh, based upon building a foundation doing radio. 
so the CSN Philly stuff had just started, Comcast Sportsnet. And I started doing post-game shows there in a much more relaxed environment with Michael Barkan and Al Meltzer and Coatsy and Al Morgani. And then I, I, started, I started to do the things and be the person on air that people thought I would be when I first started. So after getting lots of reps, I got a lot better at it. And luckily, I'm still doing it today. Well, so the question becomes, you've been able to now see between your playing days and your days in the media after your playing days have ended, you've been able to see a real change in the style of hockey that's played from what we saw last night between Nashville and Anaheim and what we used to see back in the Eastern Conference. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what's changed in the NHL? Speed. Everything is faster. Everything is uh, done at such a high rate that if you ever sit down by the glass or stand down by the glass for practice, like I do, you almost shake because of the way the guys are blowing past you on the glass. Uh, the contact is even greater than it was before, and there's less hooking and holding, so the guys are going full steam ahead. Uh, but to me, it's just how quickly the game is played, um, how much energy is there, but also the skating. Now, the power skating schools, the figure skating that some other players have done when they're younger, the way they turn on their edges, uh, that, that's the key to the game now. If you can you know, skate quickly and make you know, some real sharp turns and think on your feet, uh, you're going to be an effective player in the, at the National Hockey League level. If you're slow-footed, you're going to be in big trouble. Hey, Keith, uh, within the, the last year, we, we lost a, a legend in Philadelphia in Ed Snyder. Um, you had the, the honor to play for him, and uh, we just wanted to get your thoughts on what your best memories of, of Mr. Snyder, as everybody called him. Just how he, he made us all feel like we were part of something big. And when he came in the room, you, you know, you stood up, you shook his hand, he looked you in the eye, and he told you what he thought. And if you, you know, had played well, he let you know you played well. If you hadn't, you understood that you had to play better. Uh, he had a real presence about him. Uh, he was the owner of the team, and he gave you ownership of being part of his team. And you had to make sure that you represented him uh, the way that he expected you to. And if you didn't, he would be the first guy to let you know you needed to do a better job. And if you were doing well, he was the first guy to call you and tell you a good job. So I had utmost respect for him and obviously uh, owe a lot to him, not just for the contracts that he signed me to, but also for him allowing me to still be part of the Flyers and doing their broadcast and also do the national broadcasting at the same time without his blessing you're not doing that so I feel very fortunate that I played for him in Philadelphia so looking forward with his team the Flyers hit the lottery they won the number two pick in the draft this year what are your thoughts on the draft the prospect they might take and how that'll impact the team it's I think it's wonderful I, I love the fact that they have never tanked that they've always tried to win, and even this year in trying to win, they ended up getting really lucky, a 2% chance to move up in the top two. Uh, they did that, and there's two really talented players at the top of the draft. 
I don't study the draft as much as I probably should, uh, but I've read like everybody else about the Patrick kid and about the, I guess it's he sure, uh, the Swift kid. And those are the two guys that everyone says are ahead of the rest of the group. Uh, whether or not Ron elects to choose one of those two players, then obviously he doesn't get first choice. And sometimes in that case, because these two players are so even, it might be a benefit to be the guy that uh, gets the pick, the one that the other guy didn't take. And the Devils, of course, have the first pick overall. So um, I expect him to be a high-impact player, and I expect him to be a center iceman. Both of those guys are centermen, and that's where this game is built, down the middle. So it'll give the Flyers some options, and there's no question that it's going to be an upgrade to their team and a surprising one at that based upon where they thought they would be selecting. Looking at their roster and their farm team, what do you think they might do in successive rounds? Any positions that we should look out for that they're going to try and fill needs? Well, they're loaded on defense now, so they won't be going there. They've added a bunch of goaltending prospects over the last few years, so I would expect them to go to the wings. And normally wingers, as the rounds go deeper, um, you can get some good ones because there's such an emphasis put on getting defensemen and centermen and later on goaltenders. But the wings start to come in in the second, third, fourth round, uh, fifth round as well. So that's, that's what I think they'll be looking to load up on this year, is some wingers with some size and obviously speed because, as we know and as we talked about, uh, the skating game is everything now. Uh, but to have some big boys like, you know, teams like Anaheim and Edmonton, uh, Nashville having their lineup, uh, those are great benefits to have, especially when they can score a little bit. Is Claude Giroux or any other big name on the team someone we should be looking at as potential trade bait as younger players well, come up? If we're talking about Ovechkin being traded, I don't know how you can't, you know, at least mention the possibility. Uh, very similar contract to Ovechkin with a no-movement clause, so the player would have to agree to leave. I don't think Claude Giroux wants to leave, uh, and he does make a substantial amount of money, uh, which he did not play up to last year. So he would have to improve his play if, number one, someone else would want him at his contract number, and number two, he would have to agree to be moved as well. So I don't think anything is imminent. I don't think that you'll see any movement in, from Giroux or Voracek in the offseason this year. Um, so I think next year would be their crack at making sure they have some redemption and continue to play like they did a couple of seasons ago where they can be really uh, important players for the Flyers moving forward. And also Giroux can help grow this new young center iceman that I expect them to draft in the first round this year. You mentioned um, if, the, if Washington traded Ovechkin, they'd have to get fair value. What would value be after the seasons they had last year for a Voracek or Giroux right now? Uh, for the Flyers, it wouldn't be as much as Ovechkin. Um, it would be, you know, it would be a difficult trade, a very difficult trade, because you know you're looking around eight million a year for those players. So you have to, in, in the cap era, you have to get, you're going to have to take that type of money back. A lot of teams don't have the flexibility, um, unless you, you know, found a team like maybe an Arizona or a, a lower market team that wanted to elevate their bottom cap number and maybe give you a couple of first round picks uh that that's the type of i think creative deal that you'd have to make you i don't think you'd be making a 
you know, Claude Giroux for Steven Stamkos deal, uh, although there's, their contracts are very similar, and Stamkos has had multiple injuries recently. Um, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, who would have thought P.K. Subban for Shea Weber? My, my co-host, long-term deal. My co-host so Jeff does not like taking it, on... It would be hard to guess what that would be. My co-host Jeff does not like taking on injured players. He's not <laughs> a fan of, of that type of deal for Philadelphia sports teams, Keith. You have to know that. Smart. <laughs> uh, not a bad... That's, that's a good Sixers fan. <laughs> that's right. That's why. Uh, Keith, the Flyers need a goalie. Somebody like Gibson or Anderson uh, or uh, Rennie. It's been a long time since the Flyers had a goalie with, uh, with a stand-on-his-head credentials like Bernie Perrant. Is there anyone in the Flyers system that could be that kind of goalie? I, I think there's a kid in Sweden, and I believe his last name is Sandstrom, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I know they drafted a bunch of them. I know Stolars came up and played last year. The kid Lyon apparently has done a decent job down there also. Um, I think, you know, a couple of them, they're just rolling the dice on to see this, these big-bodied guys that are about six foot six or, or taller and have some weight to them are able to develop into a Pecorine type. Um, it doesn't look to me like they're going on the free agent market to get one. Uh, they haven't yet, and there has been some movement, as we saw Scott Darling head to Carolina from Chicago and Ben Bishop leave L.A., and head to Dallas, and both of those guys have signed with the, their new teams. So there's not a whole lot out there. Craig Anderson, who's in Ottawa, uh, potentially could be moved, and I think the Flyers would have interest in him. Uh, but he's been such a great story in Ottawa, you, you wonder why he would leave that spot, especially if they go on and win a Stanley Cup here. Uh, I would think they're more apt, though, through the system to develop these guys, but I think they're most of their prospects are a couple of years away. So, Keith, before we uh, finish this up, uh, we had two questions for you. Predictions. Uh, who do you predict is going to win the Stanley Cup, and who do you predict is going to win the, St- the Preakness this weekend? I'm going to predict Nashville to win the Stanley Cup, and I'm going to go with the favorite. Is it always forever? Is that his name? Always dreaming? Always dreaming, yeah, that's the one. I'm going to go with him, and I'm going to think that uh, he's going to win that and then We'll have a shot for a triple crown, which you'll fall short of, but it'll give us better ratings for that NBC final game uh, leading up to that. So let's hope <laughs> for a triple crown opportunity and lots of viewers watching the races on NBC. That's good marketing and a plug for yourself. We'll definitely be watching the broadcast. Thanks so much for calling in today and talking with us. We'd love to have you join us again sometime in the future. Sounds great, guys. Thank have you. Have a good one. Thank you very much. Anytime, guys. Bye-bye. And you're listening to the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. When we return, we'll talk about the NBA playoffs and the NBA draft. Stay right with us. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. 
Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. All right. So we just had a fun conversation with Keith Jones. Uh, Jeff Cohen, what surprised you from Keith's take on anything that's going on in the world of hockey? Actually, it was what he was saying about the Flyers. Um, I, I really didn't know that uh, Claude Giroux had a no-trade clause. So it does make it a problem because I think he loves playing here, and we could be saddled with him for a long time. So if we if, if that's the case, we may have to play, you know, Play around him. So you've just totally bailed on Claude Giroux. You have no faith. No, in I, I, I like him as a complimentary piece. What concerns me is, is that the Flyers have always used him as a centerpiece. And at some point, that mentality they need to move on from. And hopefully there's enough salary to do it. That's always been my problem is that I like Claude Giroux as a player. I like him as a person. I think he's been a model citizen for the most part in Philadelphia. But the problem is, is he's not a superstar. He's not like the other guy we were talking about trading in the last segment, which is Ovechkin. No, right. Well, uh, yeah, he's a good player. The thing that surprised me watching the playoffs, you know, Keith Jones mentioned 28 overtime games. And as we talk about Giroux and who the Flyers are going to draft, I do not see the Flyers on the level of these teams that are in the playoffs. They are not as fast as them. They're not as physical as them. They're not as consistent as them. Their goaltending isn't as good. And and so that's what concerns and frustrates me as a Flyers fan, sitting up last night watching Nashville and, and Anaheim. You know, if the Flyers are down two goals with five minutes left, are they coming back? Do you have faith no. as a fan that they're coming back? Not one fan left that arena in Nashville. They all thought they were coming back. They did. Granted, they got away with a couple of penalties on that last goal. It was brutal. If I were an Anaheim fan, I'd have been breaking things. You had four penalties called against you in the last five minutes, leading to the game being tied up. And then all of a sudden, on the goal, on the game-tying goal, you had a cross-check in the back and another guy punching in the face. So if I was an Anaheim <laughs> fan, I would have lost my mind over that. But as a, as a Flyers fan, I'm watching the playoffs going, wow, we are not there. No, they're not there because of the goaltending especially. Those guys, you can't trust them. With the with the, the Flyers down one to nothing with five minutes to go, I turn it off. Yeah, but uh, you know, I've been to a couple games this year, and I did notice. I thought maybe it was just me, but you know, Keith confirmed what I was most concerned about, which is speed. Right. Is that right. there? That's there right. are some teams I've seen play the Flyers this year, and I just keep going, "Wow, look at the other team! They're just flying down the ice." And and other than Voracek. I don't think the Flyers have a lot of speed. That's what they're going to draft. I think if there's one thing that the Flyers waited too long to do, it was to transition to the new NHL. 
You know, it's well, not that, it's not a mucker and grinder league anymore. But it's, that's been a long time well, that the, the Flyers the, are behind the absolutely. curve. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but they, they tried it with Danny Briere. He was a fast skater. Mm-hmm. And he, it didn't work. Well, it it worked to an extent. You only you had other muckers and grinders with him. So it it worked to an extent, but not to its fullest extent. Let's talk real fast. Uh I think you two are gonna disagree on this. Keith Jones mentioned uh Eric Lindros having his number retired for the Flyers. Jeff Rupper, you are, you could see an argument for it, but you're not in favor of that, right? No. However, see, the problem is that I remember him at the end. And I also remember that the Flyers didn't win a Stanley Cup with him. So to retire his number, I mean, he was a great player here, but they, he, he didn't take us to that next level. You really are that ex that just doesn't get past how it ended, right? Uh, like there, it, was, well, there was no good time in the relationship. It was just that it ended badly. It ended badly. And you can't see past the bad. I mean, the guy scored, eight, he put up 865 regular season points in the NHL. Um, I, I mean, he's one of the better centers and players in NHL history. He's a Hall of Famer, and he was the face of your franchise for a long, for a time. long time on a on a team that, other than their first line, you know, didn't really ever have very much. They yeah, so, weren't... so, Jeff, what what's the reason not to have his number retired? Uh, the the only thing is is just how it ended. But see, look, Andy, but, but okay. Andy, Andy, well, Andy hold Reed. on a second. Yeah. You can't say just because how it ended. So under that theory, does Steve Carlton shouldn't have his number retired either? Well, Mike yeah, Schmidt Mike. shouldn't have his number <laughs> retired. That that's crazy. No, that's that's different. How's that, it different? It was very different because of Eric Lindros's father. And, well, and the okay. contract negotiations look, and all look, that should, stuff. We but can should, get into the ball discussion later because <laughs> I think he's going to keep him from being a Hall of Famer. But but I don't think that you can blame Eric Lindros for his father, his father because one of the, the things that Keith pointed out was the number of concussions and that right. they didn't know that. So was his father as bad as we all thought or was his father right? If you look father back at right. it now, yeah, the true. father was concerned about now the he health was, of his son. Exactly. So he turned out to be right. We all turned out to be now, wrong. Now, in fairness, his tactics We're that wrong. he went about may not mm-hmm. have been as accurate. But as you gain more information, maybe people have a better understanding for that. I just remember that I sat there and listened on the radio when they had the arbitrator talking about whether he was going to go to the Rangers or the Flyers. When after he had been, I, I mean, I remember the excitement of Lindros coming to the Flyers, and, right. and that really changed the franchise at and that he, point. For and years, he, going and he forward. was that exciting. He was that he was this prototypical, big, strong, fast skater. I'm going to let Rupert get the last word. Well, see. Andy Reid was a great uh, Eagles coach, but they didn't win a Super Bowl with Andy Reid, okay? Uh, uh, Iverson was a great player in, uh, for the Sixers, and they never won a so championship you don't think, with him. You don't think Bubba so Chuck's Andy, number should be retired? Uh, should, uh, Iverson? Yeah. No. As a Sixer? <laughs> All what? right. So How what? many Sixers they, have been? Not wait, they bad. already retired it, didn't they? But that's yeah, what they I'm saying. Like, yeah, like, that's know. where I don't understand. Okay, so I'm going to cut it here because next. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you are not cutting it before because th- that explanation just does not hold water. I'm trying to the, tease our the, next week's the, show, guys. I, I understand that, but the the Flyers have how many numbers retired, 
And how many players in the Hall of Fame? In the Hall of Fame, I'm telling you right now, there is no other flyer who's in the Hall of Fame whose number is, is not, not retired. retired. Okay, that that then, is that is a fact. Right, there are yeah. two flyers in the Hall of Fame whose numbers are retired. And, and after Keith Jones's explanation, I can agree. Go ahead and put him in. All right, the so we've wow. converted Jeff. Jeff's number. You total okay. buckled on that we, one. We huh? converted Jeff. <laughs> we will continue this next week uh, as we start in our new time about what players on Philadelphia teams should have their numbers retired. So if you want to think about it during the week, if you want to post on our Facebook page or tweet us or call in next week, we'd love to hear from you and have you join in the conversation. Oh, and I bet that there'll be a name that Jeff brings up that nobody would have predicted. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> right. So yeah. let's move on to the NBA playoffs. Uh, they are not nearly as exciting as the NHL playoffs. Wait, let me take out my pillow. Uh, <laughs> the games are incredibly boring. This, this is the worst playoff I've seen in any sport in a decade. It, it, every single game, but like maybe two, are even within 10 points. And it, it has all gotten to the point that it's exactly what we all thought during the preseason. Golden State's going to wipe everybody away in the West, and it didn't help that they took out Kawhi Leonard on, on the way. Did you think and, that was a clean play? No. You didn't? No. I... I Went back and forth on it. Greg Popovich did not think it was a clean right. play. Jaja did think it was a clean play. Of course play. he did. did that, that's the same kind of thing as Lindros getting hit and uh, Brian Propp getting hit in the uh, playoffs. And it takes, takes the team right out of it, there. It, it did completely change the complexion of the series. I don't uh, think the, they would have won. Well, the Spurs were up 25 points in game one before Kawhi Leonard got injured. I, I don't think that they would have won. All I know is that I it was Mother's Day, and I was at my parents' house, and I'm getting these phone alerts that all of a sudden uh, San Antonio's up by 25, and then I get another alert, Kawhi Leonard out, then I get another alert, uh, Golden State finishes <laughs> quarter on 18 to nothing run, <laughs> and then I'm catching the end of the game, and Golden State wins, and now you've got Golden State up 2-0. We're recording this show on a Friday afternoon where you've got Game 2 in Cleveland with Cleveland and Boston tonight after Boston got blown out of the arena. They're, they barely showed up. Their doors aren't even on their car right now. And if you have Cleveland and Golden State sweep these series, you will have nine days until the NBA Finals starts. That's brutal. I'm shaking my head. I, 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 don't know, I don't know how you can be so inflexible that if that happens that you're going to have a week and a half gap between the, the conference finals and the finals. It, it, it just doesn't make sense, especially this group of – this playoff is so bad, people are going to want to forget the NBA. The Warriors are really, as a team, they've won 11 straight and 25 of their last 26 playoff games. Just think about that. 25 of their last 26 playoff games. Over the last three postseasons, the Warriors have now had four halves of 20-plus assists. No other team has had more than one. They have so many stars. They can, they can have two guys who are stars take games off. And it doesn't matter because they got so. They have Draymond Green, they have Clay Thomas, they have Steph Curry, they have Durant. That you can just keep going down the list. And history is not on the side of either Cleveland or San Antonio at this point. Uh, teams that go up two nothing in the conference finals have a forty nine and four series record in NBA history. Well, this won't be the year that changes that. So no, you don't no, think that's going to happen? No. You don't think Boston has a chance? It just doesn't seem that they're near as physical as Cleveland. No, I think Boston should just close up shop and start thinking about well, we'll their talk about pick. We'll talk about Boston in a second. Yeah. We'll get to the draft. Do you think San Antonio has any chance? In no. the two games, they're plus 21 with Kawhi on the floor, minus 59 without him. Is Kawhi coming back? 
I, I haven't seen it. Back. It was out for game two. That looked like a bad ankle roll. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like to to play on that. It, it, it ain't happening. No, you're not going to play no. good basketball. Uh, Boston was a huge underdog uh, from the gambling side, so the gamblers must have known what, what you were thinking, Jeff Cohen. <laughs> I know you always enjoy when I when I drop in those facts about the lines for you. They were a huge underdog though, because I mean, seriously, what would it take for you to actually go with the Celtics in that series if you're looking at it as a gamble? Well, first I'd have to be not married. Yeah, because there's no way I could go home after that and tell her that you bet on the Celtics. Yes. You know what I was shocked at is when I looked at the the schedule, I totally forgot that Boston is the one seed. They are. <laughs> That's stunning to think that Boston is the, is the one seed in this series. It is pretty amazing. You want to talk about what else is stunning. Uh, as they play in the conference finals, they hit the lottery. They now will have the number one pick in the, NF- and in, uh, in the NBA draft. So the gift that keeps on giving that is the Brooklyn Nets that, that, <laughs> yeah. from, right. from their trade right. to get Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce have now given the number one pick in the draft this year and their first-round pick next year to Boston. You know what's amazing about that trade? Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce are Hall of Famers. They're going into the Hall of Fame, and that may still go down as the worst trade in NBA history. Worse than the Sixers did? Oh, that's yeah. They get next year's number one pick, too. And and think about how Brooklyn is not going to get better because they don't have the number one pick from this year. The whole purpose of you getting being that bad is to get the number one pick. You get the number one pick, and then you don't have it. Did you guys see that? For Mark, two years in Did a you row. see that Mark Cuban said that they tanked? Yes. At the end of the season, who did? Which made Mark the Noel, which said, made the Noel trade even worse. Even worse. Yeah, because now all we get is a second round pick out of it. Yes. So, what were your thoughts on another owner openly talking about the tank? The Lakers wouldn't say they were tanking; they just did everything to tank. Uh, do you have more respect for Cuban as the owner? I don't have any respect for Cuban as an owner, but I think he was just trying to do that so he could use the word tank. All right, so the Lakers his other show. So the Lakers get the second pick. This is your opportunity for your boy Lonzo and Lavar to end up in L.A., right, Jeff? Well, the father said he's only trying at he's only practicing for the Lakers. Well, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what happens if the Lakers pass? Oh, I him. will be smiling. Can, Me can too. you imagine the look on that kid's face and dad's face if he doesn't get taken by the Lakers? Yeah, we're, we're, who, what other team would take him? God, I hope I not don't know, the but, but I'll tell you what the Sixers should do. The Sixers should trade this pick mm-hmm. and next year's pick to move up and get Boston's pick. I want Markel Fultz here. Well, well, uh, I, and, and you well, know what? We got all these assets. We got all these draft picks. It's time to go up and get the guy because every year they don't get the guy we they wanted. Right. Remember exactly. the whole tanking originally was so we can get Wiggins. Right. And that didn't, didn't work. Him. Nope. No. So I'm sick and tired of getting the second or third pick and hoping that the injured guy gets better in three years. Right. Now's the time to use some of those assets. And go get the number one guy in the draft. Well, and let's remember how they got the third pick. They got it in a pick swap with Sacramento from a salary dump for Nick Stauskas. Mm -hmm. So, again, there's your Sam Hinkie looking ahead. People may not like him. I will say The owner thanked him. The owner thanked him, (laughs) and there was a draft party at Xfinity Live where they had over 3,000 people. They gave out Sam Sam Hinkie tattoos and raised a banner. How does that I, make you feel, I, Jeff? I would ma- raise a t- glass and a toast to him that he's not here any longer. 
<laughs> he was, I was terrible. They were terrible under him with terrible trades. And this one, guess what? They're going to pick somebody that's either injured or another Okafor. No, I don't think, I don't think I don't so. Think I don't think happen. they're going to do that this year. I think that they're going to go and get a wing player. Somebody, I hope they get a shooter or somebody who can play. This will be uh, – the Sixers become the first team in NBA history to pick top three of four straight years since the non-territory draft in 1966. And with the Lakers pick not conveying, it means that the Sixers now have the Lakers and their own pick next year in the first round. And then in 2019, they have their own pick in Sacramento's pick. That's but why you got to use some of these they picks. They need help now. But what Jeff's saying is that you leverage one of those yes. and trade it to move up now. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you want flexibility assets. Guys, last thoughts as we cut it off this week and join everybody on Drive Time next Friday? Let's hope the Phillies uh, do something uh, this week, like either win a game or uh, bring somebody up. Well, we'll be able to talk about it when we come back. Jeff Cohen, any final thoughts? I'm looking forward to talking to everybody on Friday. We will talk to you next Friday from 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you for joining us on The Heart of Sports. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.